We've had a great week here at Connect. You know, as a church, we love that so many of you come from so many different areas, backgrounds. Uh, I know that we have folks who live right here in Washington, and then some of you come from surrounding uh, smaller communities like Morton, Metamora, Germantown Hills, uh, some of you from East Peoria, Peoria. And we love that on a Sunday morning, you choose to come here and worship God, learn more about Jesus and how you can uh, put his teachings into practice in your life each week. Um, but over and above that, we as a church here at Connect, we, we love to um, be able to serve you in whatever way we can, but we believe that God's put us here in this community, here in Washington, to make a difference uh, in this community, for Jesus' love and light to shine brightly in this community through our congregation. Um, so we're always looking for opportunities to be that love, to, to shine that light. And this last week has been a great opportunity for that because here in Washington, it's been homecoming week. And that's always a big week uh, wherever you're from. And Friday night was the big homecoming day, but Friday after game, but Friday afternoon was the parade. And it's been a couple of years since we've been able to do the parade. Last year, COVID put a stop to that. The year before, weather put a stop. So this year, many of you don't. Dozens of you showed up and uh, sat on the hay rack or walked behind the truck, throwing out candy, throwing out footballs. We had bubbles going, so all down the street, people could see the float coming towards them. Uh, it was great seeing so many of you out there smiling, throwing candy, uh, giving out the uh, prizes. There's Brad Mahoney. He's the mayor of Connect, and uh, <laughs> very famous. He's right there. Look at that. So we, we just had every celebrity imaginable in our group there on the parade. But it was so fun, and I actually saw a lady last night who uh, owns one of the businesses on the square, and she... Uh, she commented on our float, said, oh, my daughter was just so excited because before you guys were even coming, I heard her say, bubbles. And she was just so excited that this float was coming by with all these bubbles. And uh, it was just so cool to hear people give positive feedback like that. Not because I want to hear them say great things about Connect Church, but because I want them to know the love and the light of Jesus. And if we as a church can show that just by smiling and waving and, and walking the streets saying, hey, we're, we're not a group who just stays kind of closed up on a Sunday. We love this community. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. We're, we're a great group of people. So if you were walking in the parade, thank you so much for uh, playing your part, for helping out. We just appreciate all of you being there. And then another really cool thing happened. Um, I discovered that, now I grew up in England, so I hope I'm getting the terminology correct here, I discovered that in the homecoming court, where your kings and queens are for, for each grade, uh, obviously four grades, that's um, four couples, eight kings and queens, but uh, of the eight students represented in the homecoming court, five of them were from Connect. Five of the students were Connect um, members. There's four of them there in that picture. There's another girl, Sophie, who's not pictured there, but she's also a member of Connect. And the thing that I loved most about these, these five teenagers uh, representing correct Connect is that they don't just come here on a Sunday and, and sit. You know, they're so involved. These are students who help in Connect Kids, who help them in the worship, help in the coffee bar. They love Jesus. They love coming here on a Sunday, and they love serving God and serving you on a Sunday morning. So it's just super cool. And even when they were being presented, 
kids at the community night at different places. That was one of the things they acknowledged. We, we were members of Connect Church. We love being a part of Connect Church. So just so cool to see here in our community, Jesus' name um, being put forth there like that. So thank you if you were a part of any of those exciting events this week. So um, I want you to think for a moment, is there a, a time you can think of when you were like super nervous or scared about something? Maybe it was a, uh, a test you had to take, getting on an airplane. I know some of us don't like uh, taking airplanes. Maybe it was a, a job interview and just, you know, you could feel yourself getting really anxious ahead of time. Um, for me, if I had to go back and think about one of the, the scariest moments of my life, it happens 24 years ago. Uh, I worked at a church here in Washington, and uh, I actually, this particular church was walking distance from where my wife's parents uh, lived. At the time, it was my girlfriend's parents. And I remember one day having to walk from the church to their house because I had a very important question I needed to ask my girlfriend at the time's father, because I, uh, I was hoping to um, ask this girlfriend, Casey, to become my wife, and I wanted to get her dad's blessing. So I remember walking from the church to his house. This walk should have taken about one minute at the most. It felt like it took an hour and a half, because the whole way I'm just like just going through the conversation in my head. I'm super nervous. I'm, I'm really kind of anxious about everything that's going on. When I arrived there, um, he's actually out front of his house. Uh, he had a motorbike at the time, and he was sat on this upside-down bucket uh, with tools in his hands, working on his motorbike. And I'm like, oh, this is making it even more intimidating. Why couldn't you just be sat in a comfy armchair knitting or something, you know? But it's <laughs> you're like working on a motorbike, you're intimidating, you know, I'm like, I'm already nervous, now I've got to have this conversation, so I remember, you know, having this small talk, talking about the weather, and thinking, how am I going to transition to this, and oh, and by the way, I want to marry a daughter, <laughs> you know, so I'm trying to think of a good transitional phrase to get in there, and the more I talk, the more flustered I'm getting, I remember I was wearing a t-shirt and a hooded sweatshirt, and halfway through the conversation, I just had to take the hoodie off, because I was getting so hot and sweaty, I was just like, oh, this is terrible, and finally, I got to the point, I was like, well, Mr. Brewer, I, uh, I really love your daughter, and uh, I would love your blessing. I'd like to ask her to be my wife. And he's like, absolutely, you've got our blessing. We are all for it. Ah, like, oh, thank goodness. And he says to me, do you know, it's funny, he said that when you walked into the driveway, he says, I knew exactly why you were here. I knew what you were here to ask me. He goes, and I could have made it so easy for you by saying, hey, I know why you're here, but I didn't. And I loved watching you just kind of sweat and getting flustered. And he even acknowledged that he, he remembered me taking off my hoodie. Like, you were getting hot and sweaty. It was terrifying, but I, I went for it. And... We're talking about a guy in the Bible whose name is Nehemiah, and we're going to discover that he had a similar situation happen in his life, where he had this really nervous moment, he had to speak to the king, and we started talking about him last week. He's a guy who lived uh, 500 years before the birth of Jesus, and if you weren't here last week, I'll catch you up a little bit about what we talked about last week. So Nehemiah was a Jew, and at this time, all of the Israelites, they were living in exile from their homeland. They'd been taken captive, and they were living away from their homelands, but now the, the king had changed, and uh, he was releasing people to go back to their home territory, so a lot of the Jews had returned to Jerusalem, and uh, they were starting to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, get the people back together again, but a lot of the Jews stayed where they were because they'd kind of put down roots in this new area. They had new lives, new families, and Nehemiah was one of them. 
He was actually working for the king. He was the cupbearer to the king. That meant he was the guy who had to sample every uh, bite of food that went in the king's mouth, every drink that went in the king's mouth. He had to test it first. It was a very significant position, and uh, he was probably one of the closest people to the king outside of the king's own family. So it was a real important position, a very significant position, and he was loving it. And things were going great in Nehemiah's life, but then... Something changed. We discovered last week that something changed in Nehemiah's life. And we talked about this last week that if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, or or even if you're still kind of on a journey of faith exploring things, maybe you're here this morning because something has changed. Maybe as a follower of Jesus this morning, you can think back to a time where you're like, you know, I remember when everything was smooth sailing and then something changed. And I didn't want it to change. I was liking the way things were going, but this situation changed. And I think the truth is sometimes these are circumstances outside of our control. And sometimes I think God even um, allows them, maybe even causes them because he wants to see us adapting and changing and growing and never just settling for status quo. Sometimes it's exposing us to something that we think, man, I want to be a part of change in this area. I want to make a difference. Or my life is changing. I want to adapt to this change. And that's what happens to Nehemiah. For Nehemiah, the change came when he got news that the city of his ancestors, the city of Jerusalem, it was being repopulated, but its walls and its gates were in ruins. They were just a pile of rubble surrounding the city. Now that might not make too much sense to us, but we're gonna find out in the coming weeks that the walls and the gates surrounding the cities in that day were incredibly important. They were identified and protected and enclosed those cities. And we learned last week that from his position of comfort far away from Jerusalem, Nehemiah very easily could have said something like, wow, man, that's, that's kind of a bummer, but... Not my problem. Let's hope those people who have already gone back to Jerusalem, let's hope they can figure that out and get those walls rebuilt. But that wasn't Nehemiah's response. When Nehemiah heard about it, we learned last week that his heart broke to hear that news. That Nehemiah started to pray to God that this problem could be resolved. Nehemiah actually started to pray to God, God, I... Help me be a part of solving the problem. What can I do to to solve this problem? So this week, in fact, last week when we we looked at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed, we even looked, we kind of broke it down. If you want to go back, you can listen to last week's um, message online uh, because we broke down the prayer that he prayed because it's a great prayer and it's a way that we ourselves can pray for things in our life. But this week, we're going to go to the next chapter, and we're going to find out how or even if God responded to Nehemiah's prayer. So in verse 1, it says, Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, I was serving the king his wine. Now, the first thing to note here before we go any further is that despite Nehemiah praying to God, We find ourselves now in the month of Nisan and still nothing has happened. So this is a month on the Jewish calendar. Uh, It obviously falls right after the month of Toyota, uh, right before the month of Honda. (laughs) A couple of dad jokes there. Um, 
Now, I'll translate. So Nisan was a, a, a month on the Jewish calendar, and it really was sometime between April and May on our calendar. And here's why it's important to pause here uh, and, and recognize where we find ourselves. Because if you were here last week, you'll remember that Nehemiah received this news. He talks about it in this letter that he wrote. He received the news in the month of Kislev. This is another month on the Jewish calendar, and this month falls between November and December. So the first thing we learn this morning is that from the time Nehemiah found out the news and began to pray, to this point where we're going to see the outcome of his prayers, somewhere between four, five, or six months had elapsed. So Nehemiah has been praying and praying and asking God, and talking to God day after day, week after week, month after month. I wonder if this length of time had the same impact on Nehemiah as it would on you and I. Because if we're honest here this morning, we, we live in a day and age, don't we, where we kind of want things to happen straight away. We want quick results. I want it, and I want it now. When we go out to eat, if it's been longer than 10 minutes and our food still hasn't come, we're like looking around, we're getting frustrated, we're getting hangry, hungry, angry all at once. I'm sure none of you do this, but when I go to the grocery store or anywhere where I have to line up, I'll get in what I think will be the quickest line, and then I'll look at the person that would be me in the other line, and I track them all the way through. And if they get to the front, oh, man, I'm getting annoyed because they're moving up quicker than I'm moving because I want to get here. I want to be in the fastest line, in, out, quick as possible. In our day and age, we're looking for, for shortcuts, quick fixes. You know, rather than diet and exercise, we look at, you know, is there, a, is there a pill I can take, a weight loss pill? Is there something I can do that just quickly I can lose weight? We're, we live in a day and age where we want things quick. So I wonder how many of us would have had the patience that Nehemiah had to pray and to pray and to pray. And for so long, almost six months, appear that God hasn't answered our prayers. But then... In the month of Nisan, something changed. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried, it's in ruins. And the gates, they've been destroyed by fire. Now, in order to understand the significance of this little interaction between Nehemiah and the king, you need to know that in this culture, Nehemiah looking sad, the king picking up on the fact that Nehemiah looked sad, this was a huge problem. You see, in this culture, everyone around the king, his advisors, his closest people, his cupbearer, there was an expectation on them. They had to look happy. They had to have a good attitude. If they had any problems, they had to leave them behind and not bring them into the, the palace, into the, the king's throne room. And the reason was no one wanted these people's negative attitudes to rub off on the king. Because you make the king upset, he's going to start making some bad decisions. 
He's going to start to make some, some rash decisions. So we have to surround the king with, with positivity and an upbeat situation. It's funny because if you think about it, the, the responsibility he had as a cupbearer to, to have this kind of great looking attitude on the outside. There are people who have jobs like that today, aren't there? If you think about it, a lot of the service industry, that's the expectation put upon people that work in the service industry, whether it's a hotel employee, um, a restaurant worker, a Disney World cast member. Uh, there's this expectation that however you feel today, when the guests arrived, you put on a smile and you make them feel happy. That's the expectation in restaurants. doesn't always happen. Uh, I was speaking to a friend of mine just recently. He was telling me a story about how him and his family went to a, uh, a restaurant here. Uh, I'll not name it. It was a chain restaurant. And uh, he says, it's been kind of, kind of going downhill a bit lately. And they were sat next to a couple, an older couple at the table next to them. And this older gentleman obviously was unwell uh, when he arrived there. And uh, he just ordered a small bowl of chili. Halfway through his bowl of chili, um, he uh, the chili came back. <laughs> I can't think of a better way of saying this. So there on the table was uh, the remainder of the chili that he'd yet to eat alongside all the chili that he'd already eaten. And yeah, you're getting the picture. So, um, so he says, it's just really kind of embarrassing. It was pretty gross. This all happened to the table next to us. He goes, but the strange thing was they, they helped this guy. They got his bill taken care of, got him out to his car, and he was able to leave. But then he said, the server and the manager came over, and, and he said, okay, you're going to need to clean that up. And she said, I'm not cleaning that up. She says, you clean it up. He says, I'm not cleaning it up. He says, and I watched the pair of them have this argument with each other. He says, when we left, still no one had cleaned it up. We finished that whole meal and chili just, because it wasn't what we were expecting from a restaurant. Now, do you know where that wouldn't happen? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I'm telling you, Chick-fil-A, it's just, I mean, every time you go, you, I have no idea what kind of day my cashier or the employee there is having, but I just know it's always their pleasure to serve me. <laughs> They're just always happy to see me and upbeat. In fact, I've decided that if I ever go to a Chick-fil-A and I, I walk up and, and the guy, the girl behind the register just looks sad and is short, and doesn't say my pleasure, I'm gonna be like, kids, we're leaving. I don't know what happens here in this restaurant, but it's bad, it's really bad. We're not coming back here today. <laughs> because they do such a great job of, of whatever's going on in their life, making you feel great. And that was the role that Nehemiah had. So much so that when the king asked, why are you looking so sad? In that verse we just read, Nehemiah says, then I was terrified. Do you know why he was terrified? Because he knew this could cost me not just my job, this could cost me my life. This rule of, of having yourself together and um, looking happy and keeping your problems hidden was so important that it could actually, I could lose my life. But he was so caught up, so broken by what was happening back in Jerusalem that he couldn't help himself but just show that burden, that heaviness in front of the king. So in that moment, Nehemiah knew, after months of praying, that this was the fork in the road. I've got two choices here. I either say to the king, oh, I'm sorry, it's, it's nothing, I'm fine, just don't worry about me. Or he could answer the king honestly and tell him what was wrong. And I think in that moment, Nehemiah recognized this as an opportunity presented to him by God. So despite being terrified, he told the king about his heartache over his broken city. 
And the truth is, there are dozens of ways that this conversation could have played out. The king could have said, how dare you? I was in a great mood, and now you've told me all about this broken city of yours. I'm really upset and depressed. I don't need to hear that. Get out of my sight. Take this person away. He could have said, hey, Nehemiah, we love you. You're a great guy. You've been part of the team for a long time. And man, I'm so sorry to hear you're going through this. You know, I, my heart breaks for you. But let's be honest. I'm the king of Persia. <laughs> Who cares about Jerusalem? Why should I care about this? You know, I feel bad for you and your people, but this has nothing to do with me. But for six months, Nehemiah had been praying. Day after day, week after week, month after month, saying, God, please, bring some resolution. Use me. Give me an opportunity. In fact, last week, we got a little insight into the words Nehemiah prayed. This was from the prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1 that he prayed. He said, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Nehemiah even had this idea, God, it would be so awesome if the king knew of what was going on and was favorable. God, please let that happen. Please let that happen. So in this moment when the king suddenly said, why are you so sad? Nehemiah, he's been praying about this for weeks. Now we know he was terrified because he says so. And I don't think the fear went away because it doesn't say he was terrified, but then all of a sudden he got really calm and everything felt great. And he could hear the angels singing and he made his request. It doesn't say that. He was still terrified. I walked all the way from the church to my father-in-law's house and as soon as I got there, I was still terrified. <laughs> the entire time I talked to him, I was anxious and nervous. That fear never went away. But I knew that this question I was asking my future father-in-law was too important to let fear stop me. Nehemiah knew that even though he was terrified, he had to ask the king. A guy by the name of Oswald Sanders put it this way. He said, a great deal more failure is the result of an excess of caution than of bold experimentation with new ideas. The frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. I love that phrase. But it's scary. It sounds exciting. Like, I want to be one of those people that, that blazes forward the, the frontiers of the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean it doesn't come without risk and without fear. So in that prayer, the king had asked Nehemiah, how can I help you? And Nehemiah responded, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. I love that. Because what that's saying is, I sent a quick prayer up. And I love that, because let's be honest, we've all done that. We've all been in those situations where suddenly we're like, oh God. It might happen when the test paper turns over and we look at the questions and we're like, oh God, I'm gonna need you to help me. I didn't know this was gonna be in the test. It might be when you're driving and suddenly in your rearview mirror, you see the blue and red lights flash and you're like, oh God, let that be someone else. Let them pass me. I, I pray God they're going after someone other than me. Maybe it's at the car dealership or the repair shop where the service guy walks out with that piece of paper and you know you're about to find out exactly why your car's making that odd noise. Oh Jesus, please let it just be an air filter. <laughs> let it be something cheap. We send up these, these quick prayers, don't we, in that moment of need. And, and I think God hears those prayers. And I think God heard Nehemiah when he prayed. But I don't think it was the answer to that prayer. I think it was the answer to six months 
of Nehemiah just com- continuing to petition God. To say, God, please give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to speak to the king. So that when the opportunity presented itself, the prayer was, God, here it is. Help me. I'm going for it. So he asks the king. Let's see how the outcome of those prayers plays out. Verse 6. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? After I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. So I also said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. Oh, and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I will need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. I love this. Now, bear in mind, this this is literally Nehemiah's memoirs. He's writing this story. So I love that he put in there, the gracious hand of God was on me. Because he doesn't have to say that. He could say, the king asked what I needed, so I told him. I'd done this course on selling, so I knew how to make the ask, and uh, I'm really good. I mean, I phrased it really well, and I asked him for this, and some extra words, and I want a house, so I'm going to need wood for my house. And he gave it all to me. No, Nehemiah was bold, and he made these big requests of the king, but he acknowledges, hey, here's why the king answered. Here's why the king listened, because the gracious hand of God was on me. God was in this. He gave me the boldness to ask of these these requests, and God was with me. He answered my prayers. And here's a brilliant part that I just discovered myself as I was preparing for this message about this, this bold request that Nehemiah made of the king. Now, to explain this, I need to explain that if you, if you were to open your Bible this morning to the book of Nehemiah and then move left to the book before it, you'd get to another book called Ezra. Now, if you were reading the, the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, they wouldn't be two separate books. They, in the Jewish Hebrew Bible, it's just one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. And the reason it's just one book is because both of them played this role together. In fact, there's a third character uh, that Ezra speaks about. And all three of these people, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, together, the three of them helped bring the people back, restore their faith, rebuild the temple, and then rebuild the walls. So it's this wonderful journey that all three of them together played a part in. Now, we focus in just on Nehemiah and his story, but it's important to recognize that he wasn't alone, that he was a part of a team here. So, here's the crazy part. All three of them were different. And you read about the story of their lives, and you find out that that there were certain things about Nehemiah that God used because this was the kind of person he was. But there were certain things about Ezra that God used because this was the kind of person that Ezra was. So what's fascinating is Ezra found himself in a similar situation And listen to what happened to him when we read Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 to 24. And compare this to what we just read about Nehemiah asking the king for this word, for this help, for all these different things. Ezra chapter 8. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children and our goods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, We had told the king, our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. 
but his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. Now, you can read that and think, well, hold on a second. Who was right? Ezra prayed. He said, I was ashamed to ask the king because I knew I had to trust God for everything. But then just one book later, you got Nehemiah. He's like, I prayed, and then I asked the king, and I asked him for a lot. <laughs> and both of them are there. Ezra and Nehemiah, both their stories are there. They're both in the Bible, and God blessed both situations. So which one of them was right? I think they both were, because I think they were both different. And I think Ezra was this, this man of faith who just believed, you know, I'm going to pray, and God's going to do everything, and God's going to get the glory. Nehemiah was this man of faith and action. He says, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make some bold requests and some bold asks, and God's going to answer, because God's going to get the glory. And I was thinking about this in my own life. You know, sometimes there are times where I've had to just trust God and pray because there's nothing I can do about the situation. I've said, God, it's just going to have to be you. But there have been some other times where as I'm praying and asking, for God, asking God for something, I've realized, you know, I need to start moving here. I need to actually put into action some of this. I need to take some steps of faith. I think sometimes God blesses us when we pray and trust him. And sometimes God blesses us when we pray and don't just sit there waiting for the answer, but actually get up and start doing something and making a move in the right direction. Ezra trusted God and God blessed Ezra. Nehemiah trusted God, stepped out in faith and God blessed Nehemiah. I wonder if maybe Nehemiah when he made that ask of the king, was thinking about a verse that we can read in Proverbs that talks about all kings and all rulers and all leaders, both in Nehemiah's time and even today. Godly leaders and ungodly leaders. There is a promise in Proverbs 21 verse one that says the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. That should give us so much confidence and faith today as followers of Jesus that whoever the king, the leader, the politician, the person in charge, whoever it is, we serve a God who can still move the streams in whatever direction he wants. God can work through godly leaders and God can even work through ungodly leaders because he is a sovereign God and in that situation here, we see that the king of Persia was used by God to provide Nehemiah safe transport and supplies to get back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. So I wonder this morning, is God up to something in your life? Is something going on with those still waters? Have they been stirred a little bit now and you see, you kind of sense there's some change coming? There's some movement. There's something you've become aware of that you want to play a part in, in, in changing, improving. But like Nehemiah in the presence of the king, you're afraid. You realize this is a risk. You realize stepping out with this new idea, this new knowledge, this new change, this is going to be really hard for me. Well, I wonder if what we can learn today from the life of Nehemiah is that Sometimes, despite the fear, the nerves, God wants us to step out anyway. 
It was 2013. We were on a journey that many of you have heard me talk about a lot to plant Connect Church. September of 2013 was when we had our first weekly gathering at Washington Middle School. But we had a team that we were building up till that point that became our launch team. And it was a large enough team along the way that we decided on Easter of 2013, hey, wouldn't it be good, because we haven't started meetings as a church yet, wouldn't it be good if we had an Easter Sunday service together? So we decided to, we had no church home at that time, nowhere that was really our place as a church. So I remember emailing all the schools in the area because I knew that schools would often rent out their gyms or their cafes or their classrooms to local organizations. So I emailed all the schools and the first response we got, so the, the quickest response, the first response we got was from Washington Middle School. They said, absolutely, here's the price list. You can rent these rooms for this amount. So I uh, went in the next day and I spoke to the secretary there and I filled out some paperwork and, and we rented the gymnasium and the cafe area and a couple of classrooms for Easter Sunday. And we met there and we set up our sound system and it just was a great experience. So much so that before we launched in September, we decided that to kind of help us figure some things out and really figure out how we can be a church and how we can meet every Sunday, we would have what we call preview services. So once a month in May, June, July, and August, we'll have a Sunday service and we'll invite people to come and join us and we'll explain, hey, we're a brand new church, we're still figuring some stuff out here, but if you'd like to come and, and worship with us, we're launching in September, but we've got these preview services in May, June, July, and August. So I went back to that same secretary in, in Washington Middle School. I said, could I book four more times? She said, yep, here's the paperwork again. And we filled it all out. And I wrote the check and said, thanks so much. And, and we booked and we, we met four times and everything went great. And we realized, you know, this is a great location. Wouldn't it be great if every Sunday we could meet here? So I went back to that secretary around June, July time. And I said, hey, could I book in some more services, could I book in some more bookings? And she said, yeah, absolutely fine. She said, when, when do you need? I said, well, um, this Sunday in September and then every Sunday after that. <laughs> just don't put an end to date. We've got no idea. We just want to come every Sunday. And she said, well, that's going to be a different department, I think. I'm not sure that I can book you every single Sunday forever. She said, I think you're going to need to talk to our superintendent about that one. So I sat this meeting with a superintendent, and I gotta be honest, I was praying because this had become such a great place to meet that I knew this was a huge ask. And I was like, God, like Nehemiah, you're gonna have to work in the heart of this man. You're gonna have to speak to him because this school had never done anything like this before. In my head, I was coming up with all the reasons why they probably would and should say no to us. Like Nehemiah, I went into the meeting terrified, and throughout the whole meeting, I was terrified. <laughs> the gentleman I spoke to, he said, you know, I, uh, I, I love hearing about all this. I'm going to have to go away. We'll have to run this by the school board. And there were days, maybe even a couple of weeks, where this went on, and there was conversations, deliberation. All that time, I was just praying, God, please, please. And then finally, we got the call back, and they said, yeah, we've talked to our school board, and we've talked to our teachers, and uh, we think we'd like to have you be an ongoing booking at our school. We think that'd be great. And that began a wonderful six-year journey of meeting every Sunday morning at Washington Middle School, getting there at seven o'clock in the morning with our trailer, unpacking, setting everything up, two services, packing it all back up again into the trailer, doing it again the following week. It was such a great relationship. 
And God was in it. God made it happen. In fact, just a few weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, right here on this stage, Washington Middle School had their musical. They came to us a few months ago and said, you know, we normally do our musical in the gym. Uh, in the past, we've borrowed some of your sound equipment that you've left us. So could we uh, maybe use your building? We're like, absolutely. So for two or three nights in a row, this room was packed with parents and grandparents and family members as the middle schoolers performed their uh, Junie B. Jones musical right here on the stage. I saw the band director at an event a couple of days later, and she said, thank you so much. It just worked so well. The video was great. The sound was great. That was so kind of you to let us use your building. I'm like, let you use our building? We've got six years worth of letting you use our building. You've been letting us use your building all this time up till now. It was brilliant seeing the whole circle come around. But I still remember being in that meeting saying, God, I'm so scared here because I was thinking about all the reasons he might say no. Don't let fear stop you from taking a risk. Don't let um, the, the logical reasons in your mind stop you from stepping out in faith and trusting God. God wants to work in our lives. He worked in the life of Nehemiah. I see him working in my life, others' lives. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, even months of praying before we'll finally see that answer come through. But don't give up because he's wanting to do something. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the life of Nehemiah. The truth is, Lord, we could spend a few weeks looking at the story of Nehemiah and all that you did in his life and the life of, lives of the people in Jerusalem at the time. And just that alone would be enough to encourage us to think, what a great God we serve. What an amazing situation that was to hear of the work of Nehemiah all those years ago. But here's the wonderful thing, God. We get to look at this two and a half thousand years later, and we get to see principles at work in the life of Nehemiah that are still just, of true, just as true of you today. We get to see that the same God that answered Nehemiah's prayer wants to answer our prayers. The same God that was with Nehemiah as he made that bold ask of this ungodly king of Persia, that same God sits with us as we, as followers of Jesus, make those bold requests. We can stand upon these principles and say, God, I believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you are just as much with me as you were with Nehemiah. Help, Lord, give, let that give us the confidence as we step out in faith. If there are things changing in our lives, if we're in a situation like Nehemiah where everything was smooth and then suddenly something changed, if that's us this morning, let us look at the example set by Nehemiah and know that, God, you are with us. You're with us during this change. You're going to get us through this, Lord. And like Nehemiah, we will look back and share wonderful stories of how God was with us every step of the way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.